Hello, my name is Natalia Fedorshak, and I am Student Project Manager at the Clark Forum for Contemporary Issues at Dickinson College. I had the privilege of working on our event, the Beirut Barracks Bombing, the Stories That America Needs to Hear, and I am here today with Mr. Michael Gaines of the William R. Gaines Jr. Veteran Memorial Fund, a veteran himself. Welcome, Mr. Gaines. Thank you. Um, I wanted to start off by asking, how has your own experience in the Army altered your perception of what your brother did and your memory of him? Um, in terms of what he was doing in Beirut and his work in Beirut. Um, and then how has it brought you closer to your brother? That's a good question. So, I, you know, I think I mentioned last night that the, you know, I was 14 and, you know, I had been to Paris Island. I'd seen him. I wanted to be a Marine. I would like, you know, wear Marine shirts and all things like that. And then when he died, you know, my family moved away uh, from where we lived. And it just took me a long time to process that. And so I wanted to go in the military pretty much as soon as I could. Mm -hmm. And so I was a freshman when he died. So by the time I was a senior, I, I wanted to go in the Marine Corps, but my parents were like, no, we don't want you in the Marine Corps because, you know, and so I was trying to be respectful of them. I had a friend that asked me, you know, he'd, he'd go in with me on the buddy system in the Army for two years. And I figured, you know, I was 17, I'll go in the, the Army for a couple of years. And then if I want, I could go in the Marine Corps later. And so that's, that's how I ended up going in the Army instead of the Marine Corps. But the question about, you know, how did it draw me closer to him, I wanted that same experience that he had of going through boot camp. And, you know, when you're young and you know, 17, I mean, I needed discipline. And so I think it gave me discipline. And I saw the way it shaped him. I mean, we grew up together. And I think, you know, when, you know 14 is such an impressionable age. And so I have all those memories of him. I and mean, I have scars on me from, you know, playing together and fighting together. We shared a room together for, you know, all growing up. I mean, when by the time he left home for the Marine Corps, we were in bunk beds, you know, sharing the same room. So, you know, there was a lot of closeness. And so I wanted to follow that path that he followed. And so I think the Army helped me um, not only gain discipline, but experience his maturation from, you know, being a, a high school student to becoming a Marine who would you know, the, the things he wrote that I mentioned last night, I mean, you know, I've always wondered, you know, how does a 20-year-old think that way? Because I certainly didn't think that way when I was young. And so I think those experiences helped bring me closer to understanding what he went through. Even though I didn't get to go to combat, I never saw anything like he saw. Um, I think it helped me understand the military perspective that he had. Mm -hmm. um, and then would you say that going through, like, the training, the boot camp, like, all of the, experience that you, the experiences that you went through, um, at the age that you went through kind of helped you see the headspace that your brother was in. Something that um, Dr. Breckenridge mentioned last night was kind of a lot of the Marines in Beirut were so young. Um, and in your experience and like I'm sure learning about the things that you learned about during training um, and boot camp and kind of not only like physically, you know, going through trials, but also mentally, mentally going through trials, mm -hmm. um, help put you in a headspace where you could connect with the things that your brother was writing about and yeah no I it, you know not only that but just the camaraderie I mean you know I think the, the Marine Corps has you know they, they they're in boot camp longer um you know they're 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 trained to go in first I mean they're, they're just tra there's a different type of training there but the you know the army definitely has um those elements to it and and, and pretty extensive um like you said, there's mental training, there's physical training. And, you know, I think when you come out the other end of that, you learn two things that are really important. One is that, 
you're more capable of doing things than you probably realize. And the second one is is that you need your your buddies around you, and you have to trust them. So you go through that training together when you're you know doing PT, when you're doing um, road marches, and you know going through the gas chambers together. You develop a bond and a friendship. And so you know I was able to sense that you know and the experiences my brother had because I knew he had a lot of friends over there that he relied on and, and helped. And I think that. You know, those those experiences certainly helped me. And had I not gone in the Army, I don't think I would have understood some of the things that, that he went through as well. Mm-hmm. You did mention last night that you were in contact with some of, some of the people that your brother knew personally um, in Beirut and spent a lot of time with. Would you say that the foundation and your work with the fund has helped you get in contact with Beirut veterans in a way that you might not have been able to just as a family member and like how have those connections kind of fostered through your work mm-hmm. at the fund? So I'm also on the board of the Beirut Veterans of America and then I have the William R. Gaines Foundation and between those two foundations, yes, I've connected with several, you know, many Marines and, and, and Gold Star family members as a result of that. And I mean, without going to, you know, all the stories because there's so many, you know, one of the things that that's been very impressionable on me is that, you know, when I go to the, when I see the names that are on the wall and I think of the names, the, the people who died, um, you know, I used to think of just Bill's name and maybe four or five others. And now, I mean, legitimately, I probably know 50 families that are on the wall and I know their stories and I know their backgrounds. And, you know, some of them have, you know, multiple siblings. Some of them only have a few. Some of them are, you know, were just the two of them like I was. And so those, I've been able to, to reach out and talk to people as a result of the projects that I've done with both the Beirut Veterans of America and with the foundation. And, you know, those are stories that I think, you know, they've helped me be able to talk because it, it creates an opportunity because without the opportunity, you know, you're just, you're running to somebody in the street. You know, it's like making friends, you know, in school, in college, you know, you know, it's not like you're just going to walk down the street waving and saying hi to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be in a location that you can actually have a conversation. I'm curious to know about <clears throat> the collaboration that the foundation has done with current projects with veteran families, specifically the Peacekeeper Memorial Tower, and then also future collaborations that you see the fund moving forward into the future hmm. on. When I approached the county, I called the, one of the county commissioners, um, Stephen R. Deutsch, and he was the Veterans Affairs Liaison for the Commission. And I was like, hey, I want to do a project for my brother. And, you know, I didn't know where that would go. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something down there. And we started talking about it, and he's like, I'll get back to you. And then the next thing I know, he calls me up and said, hey, we have this 40-acre park. You know, we're, we're wanting to expand it and grow it. Would you be interested in looking at it and doing it? And I said, yes. So we went and looked at it. And, you know, it was it was a smaller park at the time, and they were doing ex- – they had expanses. And I told them what I wanted – my vision was. And then I mentioned the tower. And when I first talked to the county – and this has been going on for like five or seven years. And when I first mentioned to them, they want, they were, they're thinking like a wooden – you know, like a tower. And I was like, no, that's not really what I wanted. And, you know, I wanted something symbolic of the barracks bombing. But, you know, knowing what the Beirut Memorial means to me and the families, I mean, it's a wall. It's it's a broken wall um, in the middle. with, And there's a soldier standing in it. And it represents that the Marines were standing in the gap. Mm-hmm. You know, so you had you know, the, the people of Lebanon and, you know, them wanting freedom and protection. And then you had, you know, the, the, the 
militia on the other side, you know, trying to basically destabilize that. And, you know, so it's very symbolic, but I think, you know, what's going to draw people to that? And all you see is the names and you see Barry Memorial. You don't know the story. And so I had a really a heart for telling the story. And so, you know, when I talked to the architects and I told them, you know, to create the design, I didn't really know what they'd come back with. They came back with um, nine different designs of the tower. And I remember meeting with the architects and, you know, looked at them and I saw the one that, you know, that we chose. And I was just blown away by it. And I was like, you know, I wanted to know from the architect that did it. And so you had nine architects that drew it. They all did a good job. They put a lot of effort and thought into it. And, you know, architecture can be very emotive in terms of, you know, how, you know, its purpose and use. And it turned out that the architect that designed it is actually his family's from the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know about the Beirut bombing. And when he learned about it, he felt like, you know, I need to give back. And so he put together the, the tower design and it's, you know, it's symbolic of, and I didn't get to share this last night, but um, there was a, the Marines had two locations. One was up in the mountains and the other one was at the airport, which is by the sea, um, or the Mediterranean Ocean. And they would communicate back and forth. And the Marines up in the, the mountains area, it was called Spyglass because um, they could see the area. And then the, the Marines' location at the airport was called Habitat. Mm-hmm. And so the tower is basically two components. One is a tower that holds the, the platforms. And then there's the platforms itself, which look like they're suspended in the air. And so it's got that, when you look at it, you, you, it looks like it's floating in the air. And then you have the, the, the rods that look like, you know, the lives floating. And so he came up with that design. And so it's, you know, the, tow- the, the, the tower that's with the stairs is called Spyglass. Mm-hmm. And then the hanging part is called Habitat. And then you walk up and you have to go through each level. And then on each level, there's going to be a ring in the middle and it's going to have the names of all those who died. Um, and they're going to be in random order. So that you're not going to be able to, you know, know because when the bomb blast happened, you know, it, you know, they just came out and you, you know, it, it was random. So all of that went into the design, and and then there's the story, the panels, and that's what you know, Murray and Dr. Breckenridge um, are going to be working with us on. So to go back to your question, I mean, that's the the maturation of the tower and the project, and, and that, and I think what's come out of it is, you know, it could potentially be a model for others that want to tell their stories um, because, you know, again, architecture can tell a story, but then the panels can tell more of the story. And my hope and vision has always been that people will walk and climb to the top of the tower. They're going to see the playground. It's a military-themed playground. They're going to see the tennis courts and the pickleball courts. And there's um, two memorials, one to the military and one to the first responders because, you know, what happened after the bombing is the people of Lebanon and others came and responded and helped. So in, in our communities, we rely on our first responders, you know, and we rely on our military. So all those things are there. And then on the right side of the park, there's actually a kayak launch. Mm-hmm. But you'll be able to walk in the tower and you'll be able to see all of this. You're in a 40-foot tower. You'll see the whole park. You'll see the water. Mm-hmm. And for me, after you get to the top, you're reminded that, you know, the price of what we have is not, you know, free. And without people like that, um, with like my brother and like people who are willing to serve. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're military or first responder or, you know, a nurse or, you know, police officer. I mean, you're helping your community. And I think sometimes we forget that. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, 
that was the impetus behind me wanting to sort of give back. And I think hopefully the foundation could be a model for that. And, and I haven't even talked to Murray. I mean, I learned so much about Lebanon and, and Beirut. And, you know, I'd love to, you know, continue and be a part of the mission of helping people there. Yeah. So. Do you see the foundation working towards more memorial projects like across the United States? I mean, potentially. Um, I don't know if, you know, with the conversation last night, we were trying to tell the story about Beirut, but um, one of the things that came out, and if it could, you know, people really think about it, is that the, the barracks bombing was really the first, um, you know, act of terror, you know, the first act in the war on terror against America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dr. Bravers did a really good job of pointing out that the people who planned that bombing helped plan 9-11 and have helped plan subsequent bombings. So, you know, while we don't like to think about the evil of terrorism, there are people out there planning, you know, bad things against. And, you know, I think what we try to share is, you know, 40 years later, we're still remembering our loved ones. And, you know, that provides hope to families who are dealing with this, because I can tell you going through it, it's really difficult. You know, the Captain Haskell's brother, you know, I talked to him, you know, you just you start to say things and you get choked up. And, you know, I think if, if our organization can help through our actions and what we're doing, um, there were 31 states impacted. There, like I told you, I'm going to West Virginia this afternoon to do something, you know, with, with the Gold Star family down there. Um, we're going to all meet in Jacksonville in, in, in October. But, you know, there are still memorials popping up. And if they can do more, I think our vision you know, while, yes, I lost my brother and, you know, I want to remember him, I think that the tower and what Murray and Dr. Breckerns are doing by coming together is, you know, really tell the complete story. Because if you don't understand why something happened, um, you know, and I, you know, just, you know, I appreciate the people that came last night, but, you know, I had somebody tell me one time, you know, I understand why it's important to you, but why is this important to others? And the person that told me that didn't say that to be mean, they wanted me to understand that, you know, you've got to be able to communicate a larger message. And, you know, I think that, you know, I've been able to do that by meeting other people because I can share my story, but unless you can connect to it in some way, it's not going to have any meaning to you. Yeah. Um, so th- that's something that I hope. And I think th- through Murray and Dr. Breckenridge, I mean, obviously they're, they're professors, they're academic, they think that way. And, you know, so they're able to teach, mm-hmm. but they also are willing to learn. And, you know, so I think together, collaboratively, we've been able to do more together than we would have separately. Right. I definitely think that's an important point regarding kind of like the collaboration and like the opening of your experiences up to people who lived in Lebanon during that time. I know that there is kind of like a requirement to see your own experiences from a different perspective. And then how has your time with the fund and just like your experiences interacting with this issue allowed you to see the the time that your brother served and also just in general like the Lebanese civil war from a different perspective from the perspective of like Lebanese citizens during that time if you have interacted with that yeah so I mean the biggest thing I'll tell you is it's so easy for us because all we know is our experiences, right? You, you, you know, we see the world through the lens of which, you know, we've, we've grown up. And I think for so many people, and it's natural 
but we, we go back to what we know and what we believe. And so you, you tend to think, well, other people don't see things. And, you know, so what I'm really trying to say is that I saw things for so long through my perspective and through my lens. And that the event I told about last night about the, the 30th anniversary and meeting the other people, what it did for me is I, I, I decided to go back and look at the Beirut experience through my brother's eyes and through the eyes of the other veterans and the other families. And, you know, it's not easy to do, but I think I learned, you know, I read his letters not as a brother hearing about, you know, his experiences. I read them as him and what he was going through. And, you know, that's when I questioned, you know, how do you write something like that? You know, because it's, it's, it's pretty, um, if, you, if you were to read any of his letters and writings, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's very deep for, you know, it's not something I would have expected from him, honestly, growing up. And, you know, so I think doing that helped me. And so when I read through his letters and I started seeing it through his eyes, then I was able to talk to Marines about their experience and listen to them. And I realized that, you know, the Marines who didn't die but were there cleaning up the bodies, I mean, they suffered, right? They saw their, I mean, body parts and, um, you know, their, their buddies, you know, being pulled out. And, you know, I, you know, you think about 240 bodies in a hangar, you know, it's, it's got to be traumatic. Um, and so then you talk about the people of Lebanon. Well, you know, the more I've met them and talked to them about their experiences, um, you know, here they felt like they had the Marines there, the military. They felt like they were protected. You know, Marich talked about the Civil War and how that, you know, people felt. But, you know, we grew up in America and there's no, nobody shooting at us. There's no car bombs going off. Uh, we feel protected and safe. You don't feel that way in Beirut. There's a sense of, you know, something could happen at any moment. And, you know, kids still playing. They're still doing their thing. But yet there's danger everywhere. And, you know, I don't know what that feels like. But I was able to sort of put myself in that perspective of understanding. And I think sometimes that's, you know, there's two aspects um, that I've learned through these experiences. One is to put yourself in other people's perspectives and learn from them um, because it can not only help you grow, but you never know when you can help somebody else. And, you know, oftentimes we think we don't have anything to offer and our stories really don't matter. And the second one is I've learned to be more present um, in situations. And, you know, that, that really came from losing my brother because, you know, when you're young, you give anything to go back and have, you know, there's, there's times I wasted with him that I wish I hadn't of. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> In your own experiences with remembrance and grief, um, as mentioned during last night's talk, how do you believe that a balance can be struck between honoring and remembering this event in a way that does not kind of attempt to move past it for those who are still grieving from this process? Is there a balance that can be struck there? You know, I don't know how other people look at tragedy in that way. Like, you know, when I, you know, when I heard about 9-11, <clears throat> it brought back a lot of memories, yeah. you know, of, of what happened. And then you feel for people. And then you think about the Boston Marathon and, and you know, the attack there. Um, you know, these are attacks on Americans. Well, I remember even the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah. You know, so when people read about that, you know, how do they connect to it? And, you know, I guess the best example I can give you is my kids because, you know, I talk to my kids all the time about my brother. And, you know, I try to make it real for them. Mm -hmm. But he's a figure, right? He's a picture um, to them. And they don't have the same experiences. Um, I did share um, one time I have a tape of my brother talking. 
um, he sent home. We, you know, this is back before social media. You know, really, I mean, there were telephones, but we would just basically send tapes back and forth to each other. Mm-hmm. And I have a tape of him talking to me and to my mom and dad. And yeah, I gave it to my son one time, and he listened to it. And, you know, I didn't know what it meant to him. And then he wrote his college essay, and he talked about how the, um, when he heard my brother's voice for the first time, he said it became, he became a, <clears throat> excuse me, a real person. Mm-hmm. And um, made him want to listen to people. Uh-huh. And that was, um, you know, as a, as a dad and as a brother, yeah. uh, it helped me. And I think that sometimes you have to, you know, really put yourself in a situation and understand that that people are um, dealing with stuff, you know, internally. And even though they don't always understand the situation, um, they can be empathetic. Um, and I think that that by staying in the situation and, and looking at it, you know, not abstractly, but looking at it real. That's why I mentioned the putting yourself in that perspective of what it was like to be there. Um, you know, and that's why I think. You know, the, the connection I have with Murray, um, and even when I met Dr. Breckenridge, you know, he comes across, you know, he's very academic. He's, um, uh, you know, but, but, you know, what he saw and what he dealt with and the loss, you know, um, you don't know what people are going through. And like I said, with Murray, you know, being two years old, growing up in, in that environment and that society, in um, Beirut, where you know friends are getting kidnapped and killed and disappearing, um, putting yourself in, in their shoes for just a few minutes helps you really relate to them and not look past them as, as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to know, do you believe, I know that last night we mentioned that America does not have sufficient education. Um, on this topic, a lot of people don't know that this topic happened, right. or like the attack happened. Um, do you? How do you believe, as a nation, we can fur- further educate ourselves on these topics, not only from like a logical, factual standpoint, but also in a way that gives remembrance for those who have suffered through the bombing, and then also those who have had family that has suffered through the bombing. So to not lose that emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, just like, you know, how emotional I am. I mean, you know, different people deal with emotions different way. I mean, some people it's anger. Um, you know, I, I've always looked at, you know, my brother's death as something that has a purpose. And that's just how I viewed it. I think it's how he viewed it. Um, you know, he died doing something that he felt was, was right. And not everybody gets that opportunity. But going back to the education side of it, I mean, the the problem, even though it's a significant event in, in our history as, as a country, it wasn't a war, right? It wasn't Vietnam. It wasn't World War II. They weren't fighting against somebody. And I mean, if you think about Marines, you don't think of Marines as sitting in a classroom helping people get along, right? They're there to break up a fight or end a fight. And I think that what happened in 83 is you had political and you know, there, there was a lot of things going on internationally, and when the Marines were killed, it was kind of a black eye for the military and yeah. for the administration. And I think they didn't know how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, unlike 9-11, which was a significant event that, you know, and, and Pearl Harbor, we hear about Pearl Harbor all the time because it led to us getting involved in, in 
the World War II, Beirut was kind of like, you know, people didn't really understand what happened because it was such a punch to, to America and to the military. And the military was embarrassed and the administration was embarrassed. And so as time went on, nobody really talked about it because we don't like to talk about our, our problems, right? In, in the world, we like to talk about our successes. And so I think that led some people to feel like it was a failure. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it, it, in my mind, it wasn't a failure. Um, it may have not turned out like we had hoped it would and wanted to, um, but the purpose was noble. Right. I mean, and I think that's, you know, Murray and Dr. Breckenridge did such a good job of really going through that, you know, that it was a noble. I mean, there was a reason to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, people needed our help. And that picture that I showed of the young kid and, you know, meeting Murray, meeting other Lebanese families and hearing their stories of, you know, I met a, a, a gentleman who's probably in his you know, 70s in Beirut, and he's a caretaker for um, a memorial to um, the military and the lost ones in, in, in from Lebanon and the Lebanon army. And he asked me when the Marines were coming back. And so he knows the history, right? He remembers it. And, you know, I think that if America could understand that there was a significant reason for us to be there, um, and if they understand that the, the seed of terrorism, you know, and again, when I talked about the trees and, you know, when you think about seeds and planting a tree, you know, the first few years it may look small, but you know, 20, 40, 50 years later, the trees are growing. They're strong. They have deep roots. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening with terrorism in, in Lebanon and that area. And that's what I mentioned about the refugee and the, the, the you know two tails of a city. I think that from an education standpoint, we need to go back and look at wh- what breeds terrorism. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, a small group of you know band of people. Um, coming together and you're just going to go wipe them out, right? It's it's a when I mean, you have young kids growing up in a society where they have no hope, and the only hope they have is this evil, you know, what I see is an evil thing, an opportunity and hatred for others. Um, you know, that, it took me a long time to not hate, you know, because again, I didn't know. All I knew is that you know it was a a terrorist that had you know a philosophy. That, that hated Americans and hated, you know, what we stand for. Mm-hmm. And so I hated them back. But over the time, I've realized that that's not, you know, not everybody feels that way that lives in Lebanon and that um, is from that area. And, you know, so how do you fight that? Well, you fight it by understanding what's going on and, and how, how people join in groups like that. And I think when you have so much economic depravity, um, I, I can see people joining, and that happens in America, right? I mean, we, we see that um, in a lot of rural areas. You know, there's still hatred because they don't know, right? It's like, you know, you don't know somebody, so it's easy to hate them. So I think the education could benefit by understanding Beirut and looking at it in a way that you can then apply to other, you know, aspects. And then I think you could probably root out some of that evil and terrorism, um, you know, instead of just waiting for the next um, attack to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you would like to say as a concluding point to those that might be unfamiliar with this topic? And then would there be any speakers or sources that you would recommend to further explore information on the topic of remembrance and Lebanese civil war for those who aren't familiar with the topic? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of things that, you know, I'd like to add, you know, I just think, for, you know, as I said, you know, sometimes I think 
you know, while I have a very personal story, you know, I don't like to talk about myself and, you know, I tend to think, do people really care? Um, and that's not to say that they don't, but it's just, you know, everybody has their own stories. And so, you know, I thought about like what, you know, how does, how does my story help? And so what I've learned, as I mentioned through, you know, with, with, um, Murray and, and Dr. Breckridge and, and the other families and veterans that I've got to know, what I found is that you, you, is when you reach out and talk to people, you never know when your story is going to help them. And so it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. And, and by the way, Andy, the person who I mentioned last night, we, we talked about this and he's the one who came up and shared this. So I want to give him credit. But, you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle in our lives and we were missing pieces. Sometimes you talk to somebody and that person shares something with you and all of a sudden you can fill in that piece of the puzzle. And so I just encourage people to share your story because while you may think it doesn't matter and it's trivial, you never know when that story is going to help that person. Um, so I think that that's the importance of events like this and giving people the opportunity. A soldier who was there who witnessed it and went through it and then you had a family member who was affected by it. I think that you know bringing in other veterans and family members and allowing them to share their stories. Um, thank you so yeah. much. Uh, once again, on behalf of the Clerk Forum, thank you so much for sharing your time and your perspectives today. Thank you.